Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. All right, everybody. Welcome back to J3 University. It's with me, as always, as co-host Luke Miller. And today, we're diving into common digestive and health issues, which can riddle us all. We always talk about macro numbers and, uh, you know, getting down into actual foods and how you have an individual response. And what do we do with those responses? And how do we adjust nutrition accordingly? Or even just beyond nutrition, maybe it's, maybe it's your routine or environmental factors that we need to consider to make those adjustments. And with me to discuss this is Austin Stout, owner of Integrated Muscle and Health, BS Nutritional Science, a continued educator and podcaster himself with the OPD podcast. Um, always a pleasure to speak with you, Austin, and, and thanks for coming on. What's going on? Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, <clears throat> obviously, this is a topic you've probably heard me talk about many, many, many times, so definitely excited to go into it. Probably, probably one, of, one of the more important topics in our community, probably one of the, one that's not understood very well, I would say. Um, you get a lot of like, hey, just take some probiotics and digestive enzymes and you're good to go type, th- <laughs> type thing. So hopefully we can get beyond that a little bit. Yeah, I think there's a real like kind of shotgun approach because it is complex. Be like, oh, my GI is kind of like, I'm having this issue. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, what do you, what do you take? It's the first thing that you usually ask is, Oh yeah, you just take take this, and, right. and especially in our community, those those right. antidotes and are <laughs> yeah. thrown everywhere, all over the board. Right. Um, so, to actually dive in of like some science of what is actually going on, what is actually even an issue and not an issue, what's sure. good health, bad health, sure. um, and what should we be even focusing on? But I've seen you do a ton of talks about the gut brain axis, thyroid function, I mean, um, all, all different areas of this. So I kind of want to scale back a little bit to give some people some context because we have clients that come to us and usually all of them have some GI something going on to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when we, when we first have a client, your clients come in, um, what, what, are, what are things you're looking at to discern if someone actually has a, a gut issue or, or not? Um, what's, what's that first off like assessment kind of look like for you? Sure. Uh, yes. I mean, we can, we can ask those types of questions in our intake forms or consults or however, you know, however the coach chooses to do that. But I think the downside is that people maybe aren't very good at reporting things necessarily. So, or they've had, poor digestion for so long that they just don't really like report it very well. They just kind of, they just kind of overlook it. And then you come to find out later that they, you know, only poop like twice a week you know, or whatever. Like you, it, you can get some pretty bad ones in there where I'm like, I, I just scratch my head and, and am amazed that they don't report that in the actual console in the section that asks about digestion. But, um, but yeah, you get general stuff. I mean, getting the general things like, yeah, I get bloated or, you know, I have, I have gas or whatever it is, but we always have to, we either have to ask more questions or we have to look at some of the other things that are going on. Um, because generally if they're a long, if it's a, it's a long-term GI issue, it often manifests into other things, whether it's like hormonal, you know, some type of like hormonal dysfunction or hormone metabolism issue or something like that that's where, you know, that's where we have to do the little bit of, or a little bit more investigative work. Um, or maybe they don't report anything GI wise, especially like the female clients, because there's, we get so much of that carryover between GI and hormones and they're, they, they have the hormone issues. They have the, the actual maybe lab work or whatever that shows thyroid dysfunction or whatever it might be. And then, like, okay, well, how is your gut? So that then we can ask and, and get insight into that. So there's, like you said, um, I mean, probably eight to nine times out of 10, there's at least a little bit of 
gut dysbiosis there. And it's sometimes it's not even something that would hold someone back necessarily, but when you improve it, they'll, they'll report a couple weeks in, Oh, wow. Like, you know, my, my stomach feels better. I'm digesting food better. I feel better. So it was kind of, it might, may have been minor, but you fixed it anyhow by default, basically by structuring their plan. Right. So, um, yeah, so let's, so these first starting points here, like for what is gut health? Cause we hear this term thrown around a lot, I think. And, you know, I think that's very broad and I don't think we have a good definition of gut health. There's probably some range of normalcy that we're looking for within gut health. And I think you brought up one. So we're, we need to look at what is kind of normal bowel function in that range. And typically what, you know, what I've seen for constipation, usually you're looking at less than three bowel movements per week. And then you have someone that could have maybe three to four bowel movements a day and anything in between that can be fairly normal. So there, there's a lot of individual range there. Um, I think within that too, we can look at what is a normal bowel movement should look like. Cause you might have someone that has the frequency, but the quality within that bowel movement might be poor. And so there's the Briscoe scale. That's, I don't know if you've used that Austin with clients. Like, Hey, let me look at like, Hey, what's your poop look like? Yeah, (laughs) right. For sure. (laughs) You know, uh, should it be hard pebbles? Uh, probably not. Should it be you know, liquid as water? <laughs> probably not either. Right. So there, there's a proper consistency that, that it should be an ease of bowel movement that should be functioning. I think that starts to some of the conversation of like, what would be a good GI function? Then you <coughs> up like, are you having gas or bloating, eating certain foods or at certain times of the day? And that's then getting into, is, is this normal or even problematic? Because um, yep. I think that's something to really say. Because I think some, now, if you have any bloating or gas or flatulence, it's like, oh, you have poor gut health. Right. It's like, right. expand on that, Oz, because I, I know you, you deal with it. Like, people are maybe even hypersensitive to it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's anything, right? I mean, I think you got you could break down any topic into like that paralysis by analysis kind of thing, where it's like people do that with training, right? I mean, I know you guys talk about training, but how many people don't have the basics of putting effort into training, but they have, you know, but they're looking over all this minutia. And we can say that about gut health too. Like I do get people that maybe over report any little deviation from normal. And they, they, of course, they, their reaction is stress, right? Which of course that, cause that's going to drive the gut to make, to be, but, but, you know, um, like you said, there is, there's definitely an area or a range within there that we could consider normal. And I'm not really concerned if we have the occasional, you know, the occasional day or like the occasional um, period of the day that varies from that. Because again, our microbiome or the, you know, the bacteria in our gut is reacting constantly, whether it's, you know, whether it's the eating, drinking, environmental stuff, to stress, to training, like training even, right? To, Anything that we're doing, uh, supplements that we're taking, um, differences in your day, like maybe a day that you're off work versus a day that you go to work or, you know, just any, anything, right? So I think it's important to understand that, that it's okay to have some variation as long as we're not chronically symptomatic and we're not, you know, chronically showing signs of, you know, like constipation or diarrhea or um, or maybe we don't have chronic hormone dysfunction or something like that. So again, my person, that's pretty good. Eight, eight out of 10 days and they have a little bit of gas on one day. Like, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, especially in bodybuilding, look, we get, we are also putting ourselves into a very unnatural state of food intake at times, you know? So there's, we're kind of, we're always treading that line. I mean, I'm there right now. Like I got to figure out, okay. You're like, how good can I keep my digestion and still, and still intake the food that I need to intake, right? So, so if I have, you know, if I'm eating that amount of food and I have a day that's a little bit off, but most of my other days are good, I don't try, I try not to sweat it, you know, because I'm good most of the time. So, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a huge amount of variables, but yeah, don't, um, you can use, you know, eight out of 10 or nine out of 10. If you're, if you're good most of the time, then you're probably, probably okay. Right now, once we, 
once we maybe identified a trend with somebody, because you'll see that, especially if they're ongoing clients, we can kind of see trends in terms of maybe when it's bad, when it's good, if there's something that affects it, we might be able to eliminate that stuff, right? Might Maybe it's like a lifestyle, you know, something that's stress related or they're eating too quickly after training or something, right? And their nervous system's like flushing all their food through or anything like that, we may be able to just quick fix. You know, we can we can manipulate that stuff within their lifestyle. And then our more chronic stuff is where, you know, that's where we have to kind of dig in a little bit more, go back history. You know, some of these cases, especially now, since I'm getting a lot more of these like con- like one-time consultations and things like that for, for this type of stuff. I mean, I have to ask back. I got to go back 10 years, 20 years sometimes and just to figure out <clears throat> where the heck did all this start? You know what I mean? What was the cascade of events that led us to this point? One, because I want to figure out why it happened. And secondly, I don't want them to repeat. You know, I don't want history to repeat, right? I don't want them to do the same thing over again. Uh, so does that, kind of, does that kind of get us into where, like the difference between like minor, like acute versus chronic and kind of yeah. where we're at with that? No, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, looking at, at first bowel function, then <clears throat> looking at gas, bloating, common issues that might happen just from your variation day to day, stuff that we could be acceptable knowing that there is that variation. So actually like, hey, I ate a little bit more fiber at this meal for some reason, I'm gonna have a little bit more bloating. Um, then, then getting into this, this chronic issue that we are seeing where it's leading to a place of uncomfortability um, that's problematic. And I think that's where we're seeing the, the problematic for one from the GI discomfort, but also problematic in, in other symptoms and signs that we're seeing like within hormones or lab work too, that we should look at the system as a whole and not just pin, pinpoint. So we have to kind of be globally aware, but also really <laughs> lo- locally um, aware to have that full bore assessment. Um, right. And then the starting point from there would be let's looking at individual foods to have that approach of like, okay, you're having issue with this certain meal. Let's dive in and see what we can make a quick adjustment to. And that's usually like the, the libel kind of fix. Um, and uh, I think a, a point that too, in all this is that you don't, you don't have to fix it. If it's like, Hey, I have fiber and I get gassy. Like that, that's, that's okay. Um, I think you can make an argument of like, the bodybuilder walking around like super distended all off season waist hanging out. Like might this be a potential for like expanding the waist? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, but I, I think where we want to go here is uh, getting into these more true digestive GI issues right. that are chronic amongst, amongst these individuals. Um, yeah. And what is happening within the gut microbiome? and kind of what we know about it. So you mentioned something earlier about get gut dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want, if you, you, that's a term I, I don't know everyone will be familiar with. If you kind of just lay out just a, a layman's term of what, what that actually means, uh, we can kind of dive into that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of, a lot of good points there too. So uh, yeah, so gut dysbiosis would just be literally a disruption of your natural microbiome and you know, the environment and your gut. Now it's important to remember too, that within your GI tract, we have sections, right? So we have the gut and we have the, you know, we have the intestines and we have the colon and we have, you know, we have all this stuff that, that starts basically here and travels down. And there are different types of bacteria in different sections. And we could potentially have dysbiosis more so in one section versus the other, AKA SIBO, which, you know, which is more intestinal related versus stomach related, even though usually there's both going on. Um, but you can have, you could have dysbiosis throughout like the entire, you know, the entire GI tract, right? So, and then dysbiosis too, would, it's also important to, to remember that bacteria, we have bacteria on our skin, you know, we have bacteria in our mouth, we have bacteria in all these places. So we start to see these chronic issues and we start to see like the permeability issues with the gut because it's been inflamed for a very long time. And this stuff starts to become systemic, right? So maybe on your skin, maybe in your, you know, maybe in your mouth, maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's like um, yeast overgrowth on your feet, or maybe it's like 
tons of skin flare-ups or maybe it's like just puffing it like general puffiness or or whatever um i see that i see that in the chronic you know in the chronic di gut dysbiosis crowd these issues they start local and they become so systemic that just literally every organ and tissue in their body is just inflamed right so um but yeah gut dysbiosis in general is literally just just as it sounds it's a disruption in the the flora environment or the bacterial environment and i i think we could differentiate like there, there could be this acute disruption sure or, or there could be have lacked uh, <coughs> one thing microbiome like kind of what we're aiming for is is a a a diverse microbiome is something I think for a health aspect and functional aspect we should be aiming for. And when we're seeing a lot of gut issues, I think there's a lack of diversity. Um, and, and, and you see also this dysbiosis. And I think it, we're kind of yet to determine like what, what that variety should kind of look like for certain particular strains, but we're kind of getting there. Right. Um, there was a, I think you, I think you post up, there was a paper in type two diabetics on, um, uh, gut variability, microbiome variability, showing the lack of, of variety in type two diabetics will let you like increase gut permeability, increase endotoxin in the bloodstream, which increases in, uh, inflammation, which might be part of the issue with it, loss of insulin sensitivity, uh, decrease in fatty acid oxidation. Um, and so there's something to that's important for bodybuilders. <laughs> it's because guys are like, oh, why do I care about this? It's like, um, yeah, because we want that diverse microbiome for uh, nutrient utilization and uptake, decreasing uh, inflammation systemically, uh, you know, from, from that. So uh, if you have this dysbiosis, it could lead to poor outcomes from a bodybuilding perspective. Um, oh, yeah, from, from a health perspective and also yeah. just the way that you look, right, visually. And it's funny because you, you mentioned that, the diabetic thing. So in in the, uh, the GI class that I've been doing here recently, we talk about that and that literally all the research that I found on um, any type of, basically any type of health issues that's related to, that would be related to like metabolic disorder. So we're talking anyone that would have like those type of symptoms, whether it be, you know, tons of inflammation or high blood pressure or diabetes, you know, diabetes or whatever, all of them obesity, right? All of them have gut dysbiosis, every single one of them. And then also they were finding gut dysbiosis in essentially uh, all hormonal, all female, especially female hormonal issues. Uh, PCOS, women with PCOS had terrible gut dysbiosis generally. Um, <clears throat> women with hyperandrogenism, again, poor get gut dysbiosis. And what they found was it was exactly what you said too, that there was a, there was a great lack of variety and diversity in their, in their microbiome. And also what they found was the bacteria that they were aware of, because as you kind of alluded to, we don't know everything about it. And there are way more bacteria that we probably aren't even familiar with yet. But what they were finding was things were in the wrong places. Like there was literally like strands that should have been, you know, should have been in this part of their GI tract, but they were in this part of their GI tract. So an easy example would be candida or yeast. You know, people have heard of a yeast infection. Well, we naturally have candida bacteria in our GI tract. But in these women that are getting, you know, getting these yeast infections or have these candida overgrowth, that candida has basically migrated, right? And it's overgrown in the wrong place, right? So it's, it's not that it's not there. And even things like, um, even some of the stuff that you would think that would be potentially negative bacteria that's like like e coli and things like that like some of that stuff's already in there it's just that yeah. it's it's in small amounts it's in the right places and it serves some purpose based on where it's located so yeah so lack of diversity and then also like migration of the you know of the gut flora and the other one was um most people with neurological disorders had pretty bad gut dysbiosis. So neurological disorder could be anything from minor to severe. So it could be like clinical, you know, clinical anxiety, clear up to uh, schizophrenia or Down syndrome or something that they maybe are genetically also born with. Um, 
and anyone that works in the special needs field, how many people with autism and Down syndrome have you seen with really bloated bellies? Okay, there's a lot of them. <laughs> My wife works in that field. There's a lot of them. And there's, so there's an absolute connection there between, between the gut and the brain. And that was some of like the early fecal transplant research and stuff they did was on, uh, was on some of the special needs, I believe autistic cases. And they showed this like insanely dramatic improvement in their behavioral outcomes by doing this. So is that definite research? No. I mean, there's probably a really long ways to go, but there's a, you know, there's a connection there, no yeah. doubt. So, so when we kind of go from like this stage of identifying like chronic gut issues or chronic gut dysbiosis, what are the following steps that you're going through to kind of figure out and isolate what the problem is? Because like things like SIBO, there's like the breath test, right? For like sure. hydrogen methane and like yeah, yeah. lower abdominal bloating, if I'm correct there. Yeah, yeah. So like walk us through the logic of like identifying that, that subcategory of gut dysbiosis and then following into the solution, obviously. Okay. Yeah. So first off, we can look at, we can look at isolated symptoms and that might help us. So something like you mentioned SIBO, that's a common one. Um, it stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So we would think logically, we'd probably have a lot of bloating maybe below the belly button or like that lower stomach in that pelvic area. That could be SIBO. I mean, that's pretty textbook SIBO. We see it a lot. Like, Hey, I have GI issues, whether it's so SIBO, you can actually have like a constipation type or a diarrhea type. But my point would be, I have a G, I have GI issues. I do not feel very good. And my lower belly is blown out. Like probably SIBO, you know what I mean? Like we can, because it's visually, visually, if you see it enough, you kind of know what it, what it looks like. Um, the hard one, the hard part lies in that there's so much overlap, like bloating is the most, <laughs> I mean, Bloating or fatigue, I mean, what, how much more general could you get than bloating or fatigue, right? It's such a general, it's such a general symptom. So we have to, we have to kind of figure out um, maybe isolated times that these things occur. So if, and John mentioned this too, if it's a, if it's a meal thing, like a food intolerance, well, they can monitor that, right? They can eat and they can feel, they can potentially see an acute reaction. We can fix that. If it's something that's just there all the time, um, like for example, if you're eating throughout the day and you're bloating as the day goes on versus you're literally waking up with your gut blown out, those two different, two totally different things. Like our SIBO people that are pretty chronic SIBO, half of them wake up in the morning and their gut's like already blown out, right? It's not, it's different than me by the end of the day after eating 7,000 calories and my stomach is full, like, duh, right? You know, like, I'm not that worried about it at that point. It's just, I've eaten all day. So Man, I, I think it's so important to like pull that out because <laughs> I feel like the catch all now is everyone has like leaky gut and SIBO and everyone right. has a GI like disorder. It's right. like, no, man, you're just eating a ton of food or you're eating a ton of fiber or you have one meal that gives you some bloating. This is right. not what you're talking about. Your scapegoat is not leaky gut. I know you want to find like the magic <laughs> unicorn free problem, you know, but yeah. it, it's just the, the, the simple answer first yeah. and then go to the deep end, you know, don't jump yeah. in the deep end first. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like a, a, a person eating a lot of food that's very full as the day progresses seems pretty logical. You know, <laughs> I mean, if they, if they start having other symptoms, you know, acid reflux or something, that's an individual thing. We can look at that. And, yeah. and, you know, by itself, but just bloating or something as the day goes on, um, in large, like I can hit a vacuum in the morning when I wake up. Right. I have a hard time. I have a difficult time doing a vacuum at nine 30 at night. I'll be honest right now <laughs> it's, I can do it, but it definitely doesn't look like it does at seven o'clock in the morning, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but, but again, yeah, huge difference there. So back to, uh, back to what Luke was saying, yeah. <coughs> obvious ones with our bacterial issues, especially our SIBO, that visual, you know, that visual part of the lower abdominal, that's an easy one. Candida is another one that we may see since that's a common bacteria. Essentially, certain bacteria are more opportunistic or they, they grow easier. So you might, that's why you'd run into an issue. So candida or yeast, um, 
yeast infections. I mean, if you're a female and you have yeast infections, that's a, that starts somewhere, right? That generally starts in your gut. Uh, you have oral thrush, you know, you have like the white in your mouth and things like that. That's yeast. Um, you have yeast on your feet. You know, people that have yeast, like, you know, get yeast on their feet or on their hands or in their fingers and stuff that comes from your gut. Okay. Nine times out of 10, that stuff's starting in your gut. So again, we go back and we're, you know, we're going to address it at the gut level. Um, now more general stuff would be like IBS. Okay. So IBS irritable bowel syndrome is literally the blanket diagnosis for, we don't really know what it is, but your gut's not functioning well. That's the, that's the medical diagnosis, right? It's a, uh, it's a very blanket type of diagnosis. It could be a lot of things, but like SIBO, leaky gut, these kind of fall under that umbrella term, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they would, you could, I mean, if you were to go to just your general, like your GP or something to talk about these things, you might get a, an IBS diagnosis, right? Which is yeah. could could literally categorize any of this stuff. Right. Yeah. And if you get with, if you got with a good, uh, you know, a good naturopath or a good, a good GI doc that, that was, you know, more progressive, they may identify this stuff or they may actually test you for something like SIBO, like they may actually do like stool tests and things. Um, and obviously certain coaches and things that know how to do this, but yeah. Um, IBS, just very, very general. Uh, IBD or uh, inflammatory bowel. Um, that is also, that's also kind of general in the, in the sense that every single GI issue has an inflammatory aspect to it. Like you don't, you do not, you're going to not, not have inflammation. There's no way there's not inflammation going on when you have a chronic GI issue. So yes, they may do something like, you know, colonoscopy or imaging, imaging and things and see literal stuff like ulcers in your gut or like, right. you know, like literal spots along your colon or something that are maybe precancerous or something or, or whatever. But, um, but in general, every single issue has an inflammatory aspect to it so where does this stuff originate from that's what everyone wants to know like so because that's how you fix it right it's uh two things in probably every chronic gut issue and when i say chronic i'm not again i'm not talking about the male bodybuilder that's eating a bunch of food for an off season i'm talking about the chronic gut issue this person that's had it for you know years they're stressed there's stress. There has, I mean, it's always there. It's, there's either, there either is a lot of stress now, or there was a lot of stress or there's, you know, or some combination of that. And it's created this dysbiosis. And if it gets so bad over time, even if you're maybe a little bit less stressed now, it's already there and your body's just not able to quite rebalance. You know what I mean? So we, you have to in intervene with supplementation and, and different things like that. Uh, the next would be birth control, huge one. So birth control is a huge one. Um, nobody takes birth control for a month. I mean, that's just like, why would they do that, right? Everyone takes, every female that takes hormonal birth control takes the stuff for years, right? I mean, years and years, sometimes, sometimes decades in some cases. So that's a big one. The, uh, the imbalance in the progesterones and estrogens can affect gut motility, which is literally like how the you know, the stomach contracts and moves stuff through. It can also affect the microbiome and it can also just generally inflame your gut because most of the hormone metabolism is going on in the gut and the liver. So like in that general vicinity, so that inflammation makes things just, you know, be dysfunctional. Third would probably be going down the list of just probably most common stuff. Uh, food could be one. I mean, you might get, you might get a case where uh, like a gen pop client or someone that's just ate like crap for, you know, years and they could have issues. Antibiotics would certainly be one if they've had, here, this is where, <laughs> this is where antibiotics get super ironic because we, I see this, it's not like an everyday thing, but you do see it relatively frequently. Female gets prescribed antibiotics for acne I'm like why do you think they had acne in the first place 
they had acne because their gut was, you know, usually because their gut was off or their hormones were off. And why were their hormones off? Probably because of their gut or some common, you know what I mean? Or some combination of those two things. So they get prescribed these systemic antibiotics a lot of the time. So they, you know, systemic meaning they work all over the body. They're just wiping everything out. And what does it do? It just makes the gut worse. I mean, I've, man, I've had, I've ran into a few girls that were put on antibiotics for like two years, two years. You do realize what kind of like, dude, if I, if I absolutely have to take an antibiotic because I have an infection, I don't want it to go septic and die. You know what I mean? I feel like my gut feels like crap after four or five days, you know, like, so could you imagine taking that stuff for two years? It's yeah, it's just crazy. So you get that. So there's other medication route, antibiotics and birth control. And then the, um, the stress and the stress is again, the stress is probably the biggest one because almost all the people that I run into with chronic GI disorders have overtrained, they're overstressed, they're underfed, they're, you know, whatever, like any combination of those things over an extended period of time. And of course, at the same time, their hormones are trashed. They feel like crap. All their neurotransmitters, like their serotonin and everything and dopamine levels are all off. They have anxiety. They have depression. They have like all this stuff because they've, you know, any combination of things they've done, they've just not slept very well for years on end. They've competed too many times. They tried to stay lean for too long. They, you know, whatever, right. The stuff that we, the horror stories and things that you guys, everyone hears about. Right. Well, it's interesting. Cause like <clears throat> as, when you prep people and like, as you, I've had that happen as you get closer to your show, it, it seems like GI s- symptoms <laughs> become more problematic. And, uh, I, for one, there's lots of, there's lots of things you could tear into that, but if you have a few that are going on, right. Probably lack of food variety, lack of fiber. Yeah, so there's that aspect. Yeah. I lost them there for a second. Uh, can you hear me now? Um, yeah, I think you're good. You're talking about prep. Yeah. 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 So going, going on to prep, we have a lot of these symptoms that can crop up just like you're saying, like we're, we're in a, it could be in a chronically stressed state. You have this lack of food variety, um, different hormones going on. It, it seems like people become more intolerant of foods as, as you get onto prep. Uh, potentially there is change in microbiome or maybe it's just the driving of like elevated cortisol, decreased thyroid function, complicating all those things. But I guess being in this chronically state of like always prepping like we see, yeah. Could, could be some of the driver of, of, for some of these issues that you run into and competitors that come to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, hundred percent, it's not. And I think chronic prepping would probably vary person to person. I mean, we know that some people will we'll get that, we'll get that, you know, freak, especially if like, if you can get a female that can compete every year and not have health issues, that's a freak. Like that doesn't, you know what I mean? Like that generally does not happen because it'll eventually catch up with them. Right. Whether it's, whether it's a couple years in or five years in, that's tough on a female to do, you know, but I'm saying females because they're just less resilient, right? They're just generally less resilient than males. And they have a lot of other hormonal things that could potentially be problematic versus a male. Um, but yeah, just chronic, chronically trying to stay lean or just not recovering in between or, um, it's just hard. It's just not often a dietary thing, you know, like it's just not often a problem with their diet. Yeah. They might lack variety. Yeah. We can fix stuff like that. We can put more, more variety of fruits and veggies and stuff in their diet and give them some, some nuts and some meat and different types and, you know, and all that stuff that we should be doing anyhow, but it's really not just diet related. And a lot of the food intolerances that I see aren't even, dude, they're gone. Once we fix stuff, Mm. they can eat all that stuff again. I'm not saying they're going to go out and just be hammering like, you know, pizza and stuff, but they can eat, they can eat stuff that they weren't able to eat before a lot of the time and they don't have intolerant to it. So I see that stuff a lot. Fructose intolerance. What is a fructose intolerance? Well, fructose is super high FODMAP. It ferments in your gut, pulls water into your gut. People with SIBO probably have a fructose intolerance, but is fructose intolerance a thing or a SIBO a thing? You know what I mean? Like, 
Like, which is it? So yeah, is it, is, is it the chicken or the egg? It's right. The because uh, you mentioned the neurological aspect earlier. I've had clients with that come with like these IBS symptoms, but also have high amounts of like anxiety or depression. And then we start working on managing stress, managing routine, like sleep improves. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I, I'm like digesting food better. I don't, I can have more food variety. It's like, so where, where was it? Like, is it the, at the brain level and that's affecting in the hormone level affecting the GI or was it the GI level <laughs> affecting? And I think a lot of times it can be the, the other way around. I yes. Think a, yeah. a, a unique aspect to that too is what, uh, and what I've read on, is some of these individuals that have IBS have a, a visceral hypersensitivity to expansion of the GI. So their perception of pain GI receptors. Yeah, yeah, their p- pain receptors are set differently than someone else. And so that might be a normal level of bloating, but to them, it, it's a painful uncomfortability. So there's, there's not, might not necessarily be this dramatic bloating occurring. Uh, but the perception in the brain can be different for someone that has that hypersensitivity. Yeah, it was the, uh, I saw a similar, uh, I saw a similar study. It was something like the pain receptors and obviously their inflammation levels were different, right? So they, so they got full really quick with a meal, right? Like they would eat and generally get full really quick and they would feel uncomfortably bloated. Whereas you might not even visually see it if you look at them, right? You know, they might not even be really blown out and, to what you would think would be uncomfortable or abnormal, but they have that. Um, the IBS thing is funny because <clears throat> I was talking about the neurological stuff. There was, and I've seen different figures, and of course, this stuff's really difficult to find in like actual research because they just don't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they just don't do the research. There's a little bit of it, uh, but one of the things I found was something along the lines of the majority, it was like over 50% of IBS cases were neurological disorders really at the root. So again, you said chicken or the egg, usually more so the, the neural, the, you know, actual psychological side first versus the other one. And that's, so that makes our jobs tough too, because again, how good do they report that stuff? Someone that's been stressed out for years, they suck at reporting and it's subjective. Like, you know what I mean? Because they're, they're going to, they're basically going to say, they'll say, yeah, I'm a, I'm my energy or you know whatever marker you want to use. It's a seven out of 10. Really it's a three out of 10, but it's their seven out of 10 because they've never felt a nine or 10, right? Because they felt like crap for so long. And uh, so we got to, I got to look back. I got, did I see some of these back histories of, of stress? And then of course, super type A neurological or not neurological, but uh, neurotic personalities and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I tell them straight up, like, we cannot fix this without a mindset shift. Your gut is not going to get fixed without a mindset shift because we're driving essentially in the gut. We, we know that the nervous system will control motility, right? It'll control how stuff moves through. <clears throat> and we also know that the gut has the enteric nervous system, which basically lines the wall with neurons. And that helps um, communicate as well. But what's cool about the enteric is that it can actually work independently of the CNS, which is really interesting. And it can, uh, you know, kind of do its own thing. But these people that are driving that sympathetic drive all the time, they're going to have gut issues. Like you can have the perfect diet. We can give them whatever supplements you want. And they're just generally not going to digest food well because digestion is a parasympathetic process. So you can, and they, they get frustrated because they're expecting some like miraculous supplement protocol or something. Yeah. And I'm saying like, hell, it, it does not matter what I give you. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. I said, our supplement protocol should be, let's get you to a therapist, a behavioral therapist. Yeah. And does that work out for you, Austin? <laughs> I tell, yeah. <laughs> sometimes so uh, so so let's let's talk about this because we have this one or this one area to fix right stress like in the the psychological aspect so what what are kind of your go-tos for these individuals um to to help them and obviously it's each person is has their own individual 
there's probably some generalities that we can can help with for just for sure management. yeah uh, awareness biggest thing right because I mentioned the reporting I think just lack of awareness in people and this is one that if anyone's I'm sure some of my clients probably end up listening to this and they hear this hear this from me all the time it's like just being aware of how you feel and when you're stressed or when you feel like that you know that frustrate or that rise or that frustration that frustrated state and we all feel it everyone I mean everyone does you can't not ever get stressed about something impossible because it's just a natural reaction but the difference between maybe you and I versus someone else is we can potentially let it go quicker. We can put, you know, we can, we can dissolve it quicker. We can react better to stuff like that. It's just, it's just this autopilot mode where they've been like this for so long that they just kind of float through and every reaction to everything all day long is just negative, 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 almost to like a cynical level. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so just building just building awareness. And again, that could be something where could be something where like a therapist can come in handy or even us just, just giving them, like sometimes I'll just give little goals like, uh, and people probably heard me talk about this when I use like a tally marker checklist where I just tell them to make a mark every time during the week, they feel any type of little rise in frustration and like, wow, I have 700 tally marks. I'm, that's a big number, but I'm just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a lot. And I said, okay, cool. So next week, just try to, just try to have a little more awareness or, and when those things happen, try to, you know, think logically, dissolve the situation a little bit quicker. Like, oh man, I only have 300 tally marks this week. Like, sweet. So your cortisol rose 400 less times. You know what I mean? So it's, it's uh, the word would be allostatic load, right? Or that like total, that like total stress exposure over time. So, and then also with us, we can do things like manip if we absolutely have to, we can do things like manipulate their training, right? We can do things like the, not only like the volume of their training, but the intensity and the frequency, how often they're training. We can, if we have to, we can manipulate those things. We can manipulate their their output via activity like especially if especially if it's such a bad gi issue that we have to fix it before we can improve anything else i'm kind of more worried about just getting that stuff fixed before i hammer them with training because i just know that's going to drive that's going to drive the cns response right so unfortunately sometimes and it's not all of them but since i work with some some of these really bad issues i have to just I literally have to just like cut their day down. You know, the amount of stuff that they do in their day that, that requires output, you know, stress. Like I got to cut their training down. I got to cut their no higher intensity cardio, maybe some walking and things like that we can do. It's fine. Um, lots of reps in reserve, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, and it's, it helps, right? I mean, all that stuff helps, but I still occasionally will run into issues where I do all those things and we try to lower everything else as much as we can, but they're just not doing their part on their side. You know what I mean? They're just not, they're not working on their stress and their mindset and it's just tough to fix without that. So that might be the, that might be the point where we go like, I talk like therapist yeah. route. Okay. Where it's like a deeply rooted behavioral thing that they're just, they just can't seem to get a hold of themselves. Uh, but yeah, you get, I mean, you pick up on stuff too. I mean, you can read an update and see like, Oh, they're, they're stressed out this week. And I'll, I'll just try to, I'll just try to give them a quick reality check before it gets to be something that's, you know, something that's too, too out of whack for too long. Um, yeah. I try, I try to like have a little bit more data reporting daily from clients. Like I have, I used to do a summary at the end of the week which what you end up seeing is like everything was good. Digestion good. Sleep was good. Sure. Like, okay, this is terrible. Uh, daily. I want you to tell me how many hours you slept or what yeah. was your perceived uh, recovery status or fatigue level. And yep. then you might see like eh, this day, they only slept five hours. And then you see like this weight jump up and then you're like, app can, can prod a little bit more into your client. Yeah. Um, but I think you, you brought up some great points about managing that total stress load is, and people, 
people put this into, into buckets, I think, when you're in one big bucket. It's not yeah. just training. It's not just relationship stress. It's sleep. It, this, this always into one. And once that bucket overflows, that's when you're going to get all, all these symptoms yeah. and issues. So you only can handle so much allosteric load. And so you kind of have to like pull off from, from the big ones, but also the minor ones to drop off enough. And uh, within training, you can only train within what you can recover from. So that might be very, very low. I've had people that just don't grow. <laughs> like you're like, dude, you're not growing. It's like, oh yeah, I work 70 hours a week and I right. sleep for four hours. Well, right. yeah, you're not going to grow. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you're gonna have, you could have these gut issues. And so it's like, well, how do we reduce stress? And I think the, um, I, I've done a lot of journaling with people and I'm not sure. saying, Hey, you don't need an extensive, like hour long, 15 minutes of just what, what's on your mind, high anxiety wise, or I like, I've looked more into like mindfulness, like think back in your day, what was an emotional response that you had? Note it down. What was your reaction? Was that reaction logical? Like try to talk through it and turn it into a positive. Yep. And, and then you can train that emotion. It's going to be hard to remove an emotional response, but you can definitely train your reaction to that response. And that's yes. what you're looking for. So you don't carry out this stressful reaction for hours and hours and hours. Um, right. So I think like you mentioned, like some type of tally system or journaling at the end of the day, right. or yeah. just, just sitting with your emotions, kind of like meditating, um, moving that person to outdoor walk, something that gets them out of their normal high stress routine. Um, and then of course, like you've mentioned, you know, reducing training volumes or other areas where we can, can improve stress and increase sleep potentially. Mm -hmm. So there, I think there's, there's several good takeaways for interventions to do if you have the, the stress driver for this GI issues. Yeah. Um, the other, like, you said bucket, I use a pie chart. So it's like, <laughs> you can't overfill the pie chart. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Like training slice, emotional slice, sleep slice. Like you can't, you know. So same I'm thing. I'm on prep, dude. Don't, don't even talk yeah. about pie. <laughs> can't handle pie. No pie. I, no, I want to overflow my pie. I don't know what no, the no, fuck you know, no pie. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you, if it makes you feel any better, I'm so disgustingly full that I would probably throw up if I ate a piece of pie. <laughs> so continue. <laughs> um, Austin, just like a quick ending point on that stress piece. Um, I, I use the tally mark system too, extremely <coughs> well with my clientele. Um, but one of the things is expectations because this is a extremely multifactorial and iterative process. Do you see that like not setting up those expectations can actually add on to that stress throughout this process as well? Because like if they don't fully understand the time that's taken within the expectation of actually fishing, fixing these issues, I've found that a lot of times this, this unmet expectation actually adds stress and makes the issue compounded worse. So you're saying if your communication's not like clear enough at the beginning and they don't know what to expect type thing? Yeah, and like what what <coughs> table sure. and timeline actually looks for that. Yeah, well, there's actually a couple little things within that. That for sure I would agree with um, just based on, you know, realistically what the process is going to be like, which you don't know for sure. I mean, you never predict everything, but giving them a realistic outlook on how long it might take to fix and so on and so forth. And then also not giving them too much data to track if that's going to be an issue because sometimes that's also again most of these people are your really type a neurotic type folks that if i'm having them journal track hrv track resting heart rate track blood glucose track like we're starting you know what I mean? now we're starting to we're starting to just feed ocd and we're starting to feed anxiety because what are they going to see well they're going to see that stuff move around right? Because not only are they expecting a certain response, but they're also, you know, they're also basically like, it's a preconceived, you know, bias, or it's like a <coughs> basically setting themselves up for more anxiety. So I have to figure out, okay, well, what's going to be the easiest, the easiest type of data that's going to give us the best outcome that's not going to drive them nuts. And Sometimes I'll yank stuff out. I'll try something and then I can tell they're obsessing. I'm like, nope, done. That's gone. Get rid of that. Like, I don't even want you to touch it. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and I suppose we could probably, we could probably relate that to like any part of our, our update procedure for sure. But 
but yeah, trying to figure out like what's the balance between enough and too much when it comes to the data and then also helping them understand what they're actually doing. Like, okay, well you're in a journal, but why am I going to journal? What is the actual goal of this? And you know, what's, what outcome are we looking for? Um, but yeah, it does. It really just boils down to awareness. One, it's awareness. And secondly, response, like how do you, it's how per, stress is perceived, right? Outside of training and stuff, stress is perceived. We're not inducing it. We're perceiving it. And you can take two people. I mean, I always, I always wondered why growing up, I could see somebody that had a really unfortunate situation, but they never seemed to be in a bad mood or they never seemed to be too phased by it. They just figured it out. You know what I mean? They just figured it out and they moved on. And that's, that's like the ultimate tool right there. If you can do that, that is, that is the ultimate tool. So I use this thing. I use like the idea of uh, like an article I like to send out to people. It's on automatic negative thoughts, like how we react automatically and then how to kind of not do that anymore. So yeah, man, man, that's a tool right there. If you can, if you can get better at stress perception, man, you can improve everything, your training, your nutrition, your digestion, your hormones. I mean, your life, just like how your mood every day. I mean, chances are you got to do the same shit every day. You can be pissed off or you can enjoy it, feel better about it. Right. And that's it. I, I used to like work clinically in the hospital as a dietitian. Sure. And I, you work around all these people that gosh, they're, some are dying. Some are like yeah. sick. They they're suffering and they don't have an option in suffering. And it's every day I was like, man, if I'm walking out of this hospital, <laughs> my two, my two feet and I'm not in a bed, I'm having an excellent day because there's someone that does not have that choice. And it, it, it's a perception. Now I could look at it. Oh shit. You know, I'm, I gotta go and, I'm worried the hospital. I hate it. I'm seeing all these sick people. And, you know, you, you could take your mind to a different place and make it extremely negative. Um, sure. Or you can make it positive. And that's just what I create, you know? So I think the stress piece is ex extremely useful. Uh, experience helps, right? You yeah. know, like experiencing things and learning how to respond. If you've never, I guess if you've never experienced stress and had to cope with it, then you get presented with something you just don't really know what to do with it. You know, if you've always just skated by and it's been easy, then it's sometimes it's difficult, but, um, yeah. Sure. Renee's been listening to this like happiness podcast. Okay. They're, uh, talking about individuals that had some type of level of, uh, growing up with challenges, you know, um, lack of opportunity at a young age versus people that that had all these opportunities that had never experienced like any type of challenges and and they've they fall, have been following these individuals i think it was a long-term study now these individuals are like into like their 70s now and the ones that had to come up with these hardships uh, in general have been happier people because they you experience the opposite ends of the spectrum and you can become more grateful for things so now my don't go seek out, um, right. You know, life sufferings, but don't also open yourself up to challenges where you might fail and be able to overcome, I think as well. Say, uh, pain is the best teacher, right? But it can also be the best destroyer depending on how you, you know, how you depending on how you react to it. I know I've, dude, I've messed myself up so many times, like totally my own fault. And that's where, and just, I luckily, you know, luckily knock on wood, I've learned from it and turned it into positive stuff that was able to help other people, but yeah. it could, it could easily go the other direction, you yeah, know, definitely. but uh, I know that was a little, that was a little off the gut topic, but I really, I mean, the stress things probably number one when we're talking about GI regardless. Yeah, I know we're talking about how to, how to fix it. We just, we, stress was one thing. And you, you had mentioned some other ones and I know each one is like very in depth. If we could at least touch the sure. antibiotic one. I mean, I feel like it, I mean, none of this is straightforward, but um, I did want to touch on the birth control because I don't think that's <laughs> talked about a lot yeah. and the hormones are very miss. They're not even understood in females. The people don't even touch them because I think it's too complicated. Yeah. So if you had a female that's coming, you find this root issue to be birth control, you know, around, 
what 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 are you doing intervention wise? Do you have birth controls that are red flags, ones that are okay, ones that aren't? What, so, where, where are you going with that? So good question. Uh, so yeah, there are some that are different now. This is a this is where we're like this is where we're like okay. Disclaimer: I'm not a doctor. I do not want you to stop taking your medication, but I'm going to tell you that this medication may be affecting your issues, right? That's like one of those things where like, you know, if that's something that you want to do, I'm all for it. And then we can, you know, we can work from there. I just like to give people the information, whether it be like, a, you know, whether it be me giving them a study or me writing them a response or whatever, I just like them to have it and then they can choose what they want to do with it. Cause ultimately they got to live with their body. Right. So yes. So let's assume that let's assume that they're not coming off birth control and they're on birth control. Well, we have some options. I can tell you that IUDs seem to be the absolute worst in just about everyone. Mirena is rough on people in long-term what I've seen long-term. And sometimes these things crop up after they're removed because we have this, obviously an altered hormone environment and suppression of these hormones and things that, maybe doesn't bounce back very well later on. So, and this is just, this is mostly anecdotal. And I, I've discussed this with some other, or at least one other practitioner that I, I'm very confident knows what he's talking about. So um, that's a rough one. Um, pill form, lower doses generally have better outcomes. I mean, generally lower dose BC and a lot of the newer generation BCs do tend to be a little bit lower dose. They've kind of gravitated towards that. And, the tr like tr more of a triphasic yes they've yeah. gravitated towards that probably because people just tolerate the stuff better for obvious reasons right and the other would be um some birth controls can be actually pretty androgenic so they can have they can have some weird effects they can have some obviously androgenic effects but they seem to be a little bit rougher on the gi track and you can actually go and if you are on birth control you can actually just type it in and say you know is such and such a low dose birth control. I mean, you'll find, you're going to find information on it, right? So um, your newer gen, lower dose seem to be a little bit better. Combo, oh, combo BC normally, normally seems to be slightly better. Uh, but I also say that when you start getting in like the higher dose progestins, they tend to have a little bit more issue because the problem with BC is that the whole idea is to make you stop ovulating and, you know, you don't, you know, you're not going to get pregnant, but at the same time, these synthetic estrogens and progestins, they aren't bioidentical to what's in the body. Right. So they may lower our natural levels. And then we've got this like high systemic amount of whatever this artificial hormone is in there. So our body's kind of trying to do the same functions, but it's not really able to. Mm -hmm. So with that, progesterone actually helps a lot with the motility of the gut. You know, again, how things move through. That's why you'll see, at least I speculate, that's why you see a lot of the gals with like PCOS and things have very sluggish digestion is they have very low progesterone. And that's literally part of the diagnosis of PCOS is generally like low progesterone high testosterone, like all this stuff. So having that in there, having like some type of progestin might help. Um, but that's about all the further we can get out of BC because it's just so tough. It's so tough to say for sure. What I would say too is always just look at like, why are you using birth control? Is it because what I find a lot of time is half the people never started birth control as a means for contraception. They literally started it for, they may have literally started for acne, irregular periods. Why did they have irregular periods? Well, they had irregular periods because their hormones weren't correct in the first place. So it's insanely ironic that they put them on birth control and don't ever check their hormones or try to even address that. But that's a different, that's like a different topic altogether. But, you know, figure out like, why are you using it? Um, there is a non-hormonal option. You could go with the Paragard copper IUD has some drawbacks to it. I would say majority of people react to it. Okay. Um, it is an IUD. So you got to get implanted the pain. It could be like potential for pain or maybe irregular bleeding for some people. 
um, copper. This one's this one I have not decided the verdict on yet, but I've had two people on a pair guard that had copper toxicity. So that's kind of mm -hmm. weird. I'm like, but I had a doctor also tell me that it's impossible for that to happen because it wasn't enough copper. So I'm like, I, I don't really know. I don't really know for sure, but it seems like a really odd coincidence to me that that would happen. Um, but it seems really well tolerated. It does seem pretty well tolerated as a whole, as long as you don't have a problem with like, the worst part is literally the implantation and like, do they have problems with uh, it actually being implanted, you know? So, <clears throat> and then other option, if you're, you don't want kids, tell your husband to get snipped. <laughs> like, dude, it's so easy on the guys compared to the girls. Like the women, I, I've had that conversation with people too. And I'm like, look, none of my business, I'm like, but do you guys want kids? Well, no. I'm like, why are you doing this to your body when your husband can go in for less than a thousand dollars and get a 10 minute procedure and walk out the door and be good to go in a month or two? Like, and they just fired Austin as the coach. And I'm just like, <laughs> your husband's like, just like, fire him now. I'm just like, come <laughs> on, you know? <laughs> I keep, I try to keep it real with people. I try because I just, I hate to see. You know, for me, I like I'd hate to see some woman continue to take birth control for a reason that's not even contraception. Like, why? You know what I mean? That that's really a yeah. I, I'm in, I'm in complete agreement there. Yeah, and and I think like situationally too. Like, there I have clients that they're they're single, non relationships. They're also not sexually active, or we're going through like a contest prep where gosh, are you really even going to be sexually active anyway? Right. <laughs> it's like, Shit, you know, I mean, it's just like, uh, we probably, probably don't need this. I, I understand there, there's just other options, you know, of wearing condoms or, uh, yeah. I know some people want to track oh, ovulation and whatever off the moon pattern or. <laughs> oh yeah. They're obvious. They, oh, that's they NFT. That's common. Natural family planning. That's really common, especially like in Catholic circles. Yeah. yeah they do the, uh, the basal body temperature, I've had some people do that. No one's gotten pregnant yet, but I'm not saying it's 100% foolproof. So don't, yeah. uh, that no guarantees. Really I'm, not, I'm not giving disclaimer, like yeah, zero, no. <laughs> zero guarantees yeah, on that one. Sure. Right. <laughs> well, the, I mean, it's interesting because like pulling Emily off birth control like two years ago was the best thing we had ever done mm -hmm. because like IBS symptomology drastically reduced recovery sure. capacity very far improved it's like so interesting that like we i mean it's almost norm for chemical castration with like these things if it's not like you said used for contraception mm -hmm. in my yeah. opinion it's, it's, yeah, renee was put on birth control years ago for um ha having some irregularity in her periods yeah. that was the incorrect application because right. she needs, she had hormone ir irregularities and, and should have had those correct to begin with. So she had, right. you know, low progesterone, which presented as this estrogen excess. Right. And so that this, that's a deep dive on its own. Um, of, if, you know, there's certain symptoms we can tolerate within the menstrual cycle, but if you're having extreme period symptoms, like super heavy bleeding, super bloating, cramping, like some of this should be kind of red flags of there, there's probably some hormone irregularity occurring. And the answer is not usually going to be birth control. Wouldn't, that wouldn't be my, my go-to. It would be, let's look at some other areas to explore. Now, that's just a whole pot. We'll have you back on for this whole episode. What's, uh, what's to add to that, though? A lot of those women have gut, have gut issues. So we can connect that part. Like I, I will say that the vast majority of women with like estrogen dominance and stuff have gut issues because they don't detox estrogen, but they yeah. don't detox anything like they, you know what I mean? They, yeah. they just have really poor digestion. So there's for sure a connection. And then we know a lot of those hormones are metabolized and stuff in the gut. So you could almost do like a, you can almost kind of do like a part two, like, okay, well, you got yeah. a gun issue, <laughs> like what hormone issues are, you know, intertwined with that. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because it just creates a lot of these, really long-term GI issues, which lead to like really long-term hormonal issues. And um, I think one good takeaway though, is that if you were to, if you were to have these hormonal issues and you had 
maybe mood issues and fatigue and all this, the one thing that you could fix that would help all this would be your gut, right? That's the one area that you could, you could look at. And it's, and sometimes that's, I get people that are, they just ask me a question on Instagram. They can't, you know, they can't afford a consult. They can't afford, they're not going to coaching or whatever. And I try to give them some advice and they, I'm like, look, one thing you can do, no supplements involved. I said, get your stress load down, perfect your routine in terms of sleep and wake times, in terms of, you know, not overtraining, in terms of actually looking at your biofeedback, you know, do all those things, eat the foods that agree with you, so on and so forth. Let me know in a month. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, everything feels better. Well, yeah, you know, because your gut's working better, you know, your neurotransmitters are now being produced more normally. Your brain's functioning better because the, that vagus nerve that connects the gut and the brain is, is functioning better. You just, you're not as inflamed, right? So your joints don't hurt as bad, like, you know, all, all that stuff. So uh, that's a big one. I mean, it's very complex, but it's also, it's also, there's also easy stuff you can do, I guess you should say. Uh, and, you know, I think that's a great ending takeaway, Austin. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you laid that out uh, yeah. beautifully because in, in the world of gut health, there is too much information. And now there's a lot of misapplied in, in, information and we're, you're throwing XYZ supplements at things and you have to go with some big bucket items to, to really mitigate these, right. these issues. Start there. And then if the, the big items aren't working, then you can go down to these individual streams of, of what we can work on to improve whatever symptom you may be, may be having. But uh, sure. there, there, we won't all have the magical unicorn of this extreme gut issue. And we you don't want to find that either. You're hoping that it's just the, the <laughs> fix. Right. And so don't jump to that. Start with the basic stuff. Let's, let's manage stress, routine, uh, let's you know, the basic diet, like if you want complicated diets, it's the basic stuff, like eat a variety of fruits, vegetables, and fiber sources. Um, and, and then go from there. So great conversation, Austin. Sweet. Appreciate having that. you on. Um, tell, tell people where they can find you, get more information at plug, plug away. Uh, yeah, you can. So if you, if you go to, my Facebook, obviously Austin Stout, you'll see some bodybuilder dude flexing in the photo. So you'll be able to figure it out. And then Instagram is at Austin ST8. And on both the Facebook and Instagram both have a link tree in there. So that would have like my YouTube channel and, and you know, all that jazz. And I pretty much put links to all the podcasts and any YouTube videos and stuff like that are all on my both of my Facebook and Instagram will pretty much have the same posts on them for the most part. Um, any classes that I'm doing, all that stuff I announce on there, podcasts, you know, all that stuff's, all that stuff is there. I try to keep it all in one spot as much as possible. And I, I just have to say like the education that you put out is phenomenal and it's at such a high level and so much is free and people follow Austin Stout. Uh, his, his YouTube, his whiteboard chats are, are so valuable. And then go on and do like his lessons and webinars because they're, they're deep dives in the areas that are just so misinformed. If you're helping, helping athletes, you're a coach, or you just want to help yourself, you will, you will get a applicable takeaway. So I would just highly recommend finding Austin and, and giving him a follow. But uh, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, yeah, Thank of course. <laughs> but anyway, that is J3 University podcast, and we will talk to you guys next time.